You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and uh, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are not a silent God, that you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us in the truths of your word and you've revealed yourself to us in Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, we, we are not left uh, to try to figure life out on our own, uh, to try to figure out the, the temptations and the trials and the difficulties of life, but we have you with us. We have Jesus who went before us and uh, fought every battle on our behalf. And uh, Lord, we thank you that the victory that is won for us through Jesus Christ is given to us as a free gift. And so today, give us your Holy Spirit uh, that we would hear and that your word would uh, penetrate our hearts and that by penetrating our hearts, our lives would be transformed. Uh, so, Lord, we pray you be glorified in this. Give us, Lord, today what, what we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been going through a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Today we come to that petition. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. I was raised watching Channel 9, and on Channel 9 there was a show called Sesame Street that I remember watching as a kid. My favorite character on Sesame Street was the Cookie Monster. How many of you grew up watching the Cookie Monster? Well, Sesame Street taught me many things. One of the things that Cookie Monster taught me was how to eat cookies. And as you can see, uh, he taught me very well. When I uh, was uh, first married, when Katie and I first got married, uh, my wife Katie's here with us today, she, she was so nice. You know how it is when you first get married, your wife is so nice. And uh, <laughs> she, she uh, decided to, uh, to do something very nice for me. I, she knew that I loved cookies and she knew that I loved it when, when people baked uh, for me, so she baked me cookies. At that time, we lived in Marysville in a little apartment. I was working at Word of Life. And I remember it was a Monday. I had worked all morning and afternoon to get ready for youth group. And I go back into our little apartment kitchen, and I see that all of these cookies are there. And I ate one, and I said, man, this is a good cookie. She's a good baker. I married a good, good woman, not only for her baking, but for many other reasons. And, uh, but I just kept eating and eating and eating because these cookies were so good. I couldn't stop myself. The temptation to eat these cookies was too great. Uh, I uh, ate so many cookies that I got a stomach ache. And uh, then I was like angry at myself for eating so many cookies. So I took the cookies and I threw them into the trash. That was a big mistake. And she came home and she said, what happened to the cookies? And I said, I ate so many that I got a stomach ache and I threw them away because I couldn't have the temptation around anymore. And then I saw that she's not always very nice. <laughs> One man prayed, Lord, I pray that you would not, that you would lead me not into temptation today. Lord, please do not lead me into temptation today because I can find it myself. Isn't that true? We can find it ourselves. What's your big temptation? What's your big temptation in life? Well, for me, it's food. Someone from Maple Park was kind, so kind, they gave us this big package of almond roca. 
I was sitting watching Star Trek a couple of nights ago, and I noticed this shiny package. And I opened it up, and I could smell it. You know the smell of almondaroca? It smells so great. And so that temptation took a hold of me again, and pretty soon I looked, and there was a whole bowl full of almondaroca wrappers sitting next to me. Lead me not into temptation. Lord, I can find it myself. I think there's a little confusion with this part of the Lord's Prayer. And I ask the question, does God tempt us to sin? Does God tempt us to sin? I'd like for us today to look at James. James, the first chapter, verses, uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 12 through 18, as we begin here. I think we have it on the screen for everybody. I believe James gives us some insight into how we should understand this petition or temptation. What does it mean, lead us not into temptation? And then we'll look at Luther, and I believe that Luther will bring even greater clarity in his small catechism to what the meaning of this petition, lead us not into temptation, is. So uh, James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own Desire, the plate of cookies, the package of almond roca. Those are just funny examples of what's a, a, really a serious thing. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here we see the seriousness, the seriousness of temptation. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So does God tempt us to sin? What does James write? No, he does not tempt us to sin. Now Martin Luther, lead us not into temptation. The catechism asks, what does this mean? What does this mean? The catechism says, God tempts no one. God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us, so that he would guard us and keep us, so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief and despair or other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are praying that we would receive the victory that is won for us through Jesus Christ and that through him 
we would have victory over the temptation. But there's another question that goes deeper than this. Does God permit testing? Does he permit trials to come into our lives? Does God permit for us to experience circumstances in our lives which are trying and which are difficult for us? Well, he does. We know that God is not the the cause of it, but God may permit it. He doesn't cause the trial or the difficulty or the hardship, but he may allow it to come into our lives for a good, good purpose. And we see this play out in Job's life. Are you familiar with Job? Job is found in the Old Testament of our Bible. And the first two chapters of Job, you can read it yourself, lay out for us how God permitted Satan to test Job. Why does God allow us to be tested? What is the purpose in the testing of Job's faith, of your faith, and of my faith? Why doesn't God keep us in a protective bubble? You know, kind of keep us in this bubble wrap sort of thing. Why doesn't God do that? It'd be kind of nice if he did if he wrapped us all up in some divine bubble wrap and nothing ever was trying or nothing ever tested our faith, wouldn't that be nice? God doesn't do that, I believe, for the very same reason that you don't keep your children in a protective bubble. We allow our children to experience life, sometimes some of the difficulties of life, and sometimes uh, difficult situations in which they have to learn to navigate themselves. Uh, Maybe that's not the best analogy, but bottom line, the Bible says, the testing of our faith fortifies our faith. God has a good purpose in testing us. You see, Satan intends the testing of our faith for evil, but God intends it for good. And the good that comes from the testing of our faith, the good that comes is a stronger faith, a deeper faith, a faith that is that is, that is better than it was before. The testing of our faith is of such massive benefit to us that James says this. Now we're going to look at James 1, 2 through 4. What does James say? The testing of our faith is, such, is of such massive benefit to us that James says what? Count it all what? Joy. I'm not going to say you need to laugh your way through the pain and the hardship and that but I believe that James is teaching us something that's very important. So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let 
steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James tells us that the, the, the testing of our faith, the trials, the difficulties serve a good purpose for you. And I believe that you have experienced this in your life. You could stand up and you could testify, if it wasn't for that difficult circumstance in my life, I wouldn't have known of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness and of his strength being made perfect in my weakness. So you learn to depend upon God through the trials and through the difficulties of life. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. Again, this word and this you, what? You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God even is glorified in the testing, in the difficulty, in the hardship because we come to the point where we realize, I can't hold this together. I can't manage this. I can't deal with this. So I give it to God, and then God carries you through, and he receives all the glory and the honor. This is also the struggle that plays out in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. 176. Poetic verses. I'm not going to read Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. But Luther explains trials with the example of David in Psalm 119. And here we have this, this just go home and, and read it. Just commit to reading and praying through Psalm 119. Take some time to do it, obviously. It may take take weeks, and that's fine. But Luther explains trials with the example of David who wrote it in Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, David complains so often about all kinds of enemies, arrogant uh, princes or tyrants, false spirits and factions uh, whom he must tolerate because he meditates. That is because he is occupied with God's word as has been said in all manner of ways. So here we have David who's assaulted on so many different fronts. And then we have in Psalm 119 this honest prayer, this honest prayer uh, that is written out for us. Not, not your super religious kind of prayer or your sugar-coated prayer, but an honest prayer in Psalm 119 about the struggles and the difficulties of life. David's trial was caused by many attacks. You read Psalm 119, and you hear of opposition, affliction, persecution that David faced. He asked God, how long must I endure? How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? Have you ever prayed that way? Lord, how long do I have to endure this? You identify with David's struggle? The devil's intent 
was to cause such agonizing internal struggle that David would, in despair, flee from God. David would flee from God. But the devil's attacks against David actually proved counterproductive. For God's intent in the trial was different. Luther writes, for as soon as God's word takes root and it grows in you, the devil will harry you. He'll make a real doctor of you. And by his assaults will teach you to seek and to love God's word. So in the attack actually comes a desire to run closer to God, to open his word and to find relief. So the devil shoots himself in the foot. So it is with David. David writes, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted. Did you get that? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. But now I keep your word. And again, it is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So the affliction, the trial, the difficulty, the hardship causes us to look to God, to trust in God, to open his word, to pray his word, and to find our strength from him. Through trial, God drove David to experience his own weakness, his, his insufficiency, but to also experience God's strength. David came to experience his own nothingness in God's goodness. Through trial, God drove him back to his word to experience how wonderful it truly is. Psalm 119, verses, verse 103, his word is sweeter than honey to my mouth. So God has a purpose in the difficulty, in the trial. In the midst of it, we go back to God. And we learn that his grace is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect in weakness. Now Jesus, Jesus, Jesus steps in. And Jesus takes on the devil. Jesus steps in. And he is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Look very closely at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by who? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Some people say, wouldn't it be so wonderful to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Better watch out. Better watch out. He fills us with the Holy Spirit for a mission and a purpose, and it's not always comfortable. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. I believe that that clause, he was hungry, was placed there to remind us that Jesus is fully human. Flesh and blood in bone, hunger, exhaustion, sorrow, everything that we are familiar with, Jesus is familiar with 
2. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, What? Here's the key. It's the word of God. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So here, Satan quotes scripture. Did you know that Satan is a master at twisting scripture? Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Some of the best words in the Bible. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I don't know if we can gain a definite understanding uh, of the meaning behind each of the temptations of Jesus. I've read a couple of commentaries, and each of them had a different interpretation of what each of the uh, temptations mean. We're not going to get into that, but um, we can say this for sure. The temptation was for Jesus, for Jesus to reject the plan of winning salvation for humanity. If Jesus fell here, salvation would not have been won for us. So here's what we do need to glean from this passage. First of all, the temptation was real. The temptation was real. Jesus really was tempted. And the Bible then explains this in Hebrews, that he was tempted uh, just as we are. But he did not sin. So the temptation was real. Another thing that we glean from this passage is, is that the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. Notice every time Satan comes to Jesus, Jesus uses the Word of God to combat the attack of the enemy. This is why you need to know the Scriptures. You need to know the Scriptures so that you can be equipped so you can be equipped against the temptations that you face in this life. And then the, the, the big thing here uh, is that Jesus overcame temptation. And he did this for you. He overcame temptation in the wilderness in your stead, in your place, as your substitute. He stepped into your shoes and he accomplished what you could never accomplish. He won a battle that you could never win. For you. And now, through faith in Jesus, the victory that Jesus won in his life, in his death, and his resurrection are given to you. So you walk in victory, not in your victory, but in the victory that Jesus has won and has given to you. Everything that Jesus did was for you, was for your salvation. The only reason you have any hope of overcoming the deceit of Satan and his temptations in your life is because Jesus already won the victory over the devil 
and he did this on your behalf. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness also foreshadows Jesus' final victory over Satan upon the cross. So here we see a, a preview of coming attractions. In the wilderness, Jesus wins the battle. On the cross, Jesus wins the war. And throughout all of Jesus' ministry, every time a demon comes in to contact with Jesus, that demon bites the dust. So every, every account in the New Testament of Jesus overcoming Satan is your victory today. It belongs to you. It's been given to you as a free gift. So Satan is defeated. He comes at you today. Yes, he does, but he comes at you. He attacks you with a mortal wound to his head. A mortal wound inflicted by Jesus upon the cross. Martin Luther said it this way, Lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One little word. And that is the word of Christ of the gospel. And Jesus is with you. Do you know that? He knows your name. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows the trial. He knows the difficulty. He knows the temptation. And he is with you. And moreover, in the same way that the holy angels attended to Jesus, his holy angels are attending to you today. Have you thanked him for that lately in prayer? Have you said, Jesus, thank you for your holy angels which attend to me? You are kept in him, and you are kept by him. So you're in the same way that, that uh, Jesus' temptation was real, your temptation is real. In the same way that the Word of God was powerful for Jesus, the Word of God is powerful for you. Not the Word of men. Men have a lot of things to say. There are a lot of things written in, in books or on internet blog posts. It's good to, to, to read and to be well read and well studied, but, but the Bible is, is the Word of God. And it is the power of God in, in your fight against the enemy. God's word has the final say. God's word is the final authority, period. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffer, but his delight is in what? The law or the Torah, or we can say the Word of God. And on His law, or on His Word, He meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Is your delight in God's word? 
Is that where your delight is? Do you meditate upon his word? God gives you the victory. He gives you the strength. He gives you all of the benefits that he offers through his word. Apart from the word, we have nothing. But in his word, we have all that we need. So through the word of God, Jesus gives you the victory over Satan. His victory is your victory. Jesus came into this world to win the victory for you. To accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished. With the life group, I shared a story on Wednesday about an ultramarathon. Anybody ever, here ever heard of ultramarathons? Ultramarathons are absolutely insane. And I really, it was hard for me to believe that people actually ran these things. There is an ultramarathon that goes through Death Valley in the dead of summer with temperatures upwards of 120 degrees. And these men and women uh, run through the desert 100 miles. This is a 100-mile marathon. And some of them complete it in under 24 hours. Unbelievable. They start below sea level and they end at about 8,000 feet above sea level. Now, there's one woman who, who won it in her, her division and she completed it in under 24 hours. Unbelievable. Now let's say you're, 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 you're standing at, at the start line of this marathon. In the condition you're in right now. I don't even know if I could run a 5K. <laughs> I could probably walk it and be sore. But So you're standing at, at, this, at the start line of this, this 100 mile ultramarathon. And you have to complete this in under 24 hours. None of us here, I guarantee you, none of us here would be able to do that. Maybe Peter Erickson. <laughs> none of us, I think, uh, would be able to do this. Now let's say your life depended upon completing this race in under 24 hours. We'd all be dead, right? Let's say this woman who completed it in under 24 hours the year before taps on your shoulder and says, I want to run the race for you in your place, and you will get the credit in the end. This is what Jesus did for you. He won the victory for you in your place, and today you receive all of the benefits of that victory through faith in him. Your sins are forgiven. Satan defeated. Eternal life, yours. Live in that victory today. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the victory that you have won for us. Help us to live in that victory. Lord, I know the temptation for me is to, is to not live in that victory, but to try to make life happen in my own strength and through my own resources. And I pray that you would forgive me for that. And I pray that, that, uh, that I would realize that every day that your victory is just right there for me. To take as my own. So Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray that each and every person here would take hold of that victory that belongs to them.
And we thank you that you give that victory to us even today as we come to this altar. As we come to your altar and as we receive the victory you won in your body and your blood. And may this sacrament for us today strengthen us in faith towards you, in fervent love towards one another, and in service towards our neighbors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.